1: Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I or download the app today.
2: The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi there, I'm Lauren McGoodwin with teammate Alia Kamalova. Welcome to The Females, a podcast from Career Contessa that delivers helpful, actionable career tips and advice for women so you can be more fulfilled, healthy, and successful at work. On today's episode, we're discussing how you can train your brain, yes, you can do such a thing, to have a growth mindset with career contesta coach, Kristen Evanson. Kristen helps leaders think creatively and courageously about what's next, using the latest in neuroscience to help them navigate change. And now she's gonna do the same for all of us on this episode. That's why on today's episode, we're discussing one,
0: fixed mindset tendencies, including the brain's negativity bias and threat state, which can keep you from growing. And two, four actionable steps to help you reframe from fixed to growth mindset areas with your individual thinking. Plus, stick around for Dear Career Contessa, our listener advice segment where we answer your career questions. And today is another unique one because we have Hulu recruiter Alex Bader here to answer your questions.
2: And now this is The Females. Hi, Kristen. Welcome to The Females. Hi, Lauren. Thanks for having me let's start by having you introduce yourself. So can you briefly share what you do and how you learned about the concept of growth mindsets?
3: You bet. I do coaching and consulting with individuals and teams. And my goal is to help them navigate strategic change and career change by thinking creatively and courageously. I trained with in brain-based coaching with the Neural Leadership Institute to help others tame their brain because personally for me, I have found that so helpful. I have been in my own career journey and career transitions and have had a couple episodes of reinventing myself. And despite being a gal with a positive can-do attitude, I'm just so surprised at how south and negative my thoughts can go in transition and change. So I've just found all the brain science super helpful. People really enjoy it. So that's really fun when I work with people. Yeah,
2: it's interesting that and we're going to get into it later, but a lot of growth mindset is related to brain activity and the wiring. I'm not (laughs) going (laughs) to even pretend to act like I know what I'm talking about with that, but I always find that super, super interesting. Yeah.
0: Plus it's super helpful to know that, especially during like this quarantine period where everyone's like, I feel like I'm losing my mind right now. (laughs) So it's really nice to like get some hard facts behind what is going on and how to like take a little bit more control of that.
3: Yeah, I'm not a neuroscientist, but there's a lot of craziness going on in the world. And there are a lot of good explanations for why we feel that way.
0: Okay, so fixed mindset and growth mindset. These are terms that have definitely gained popularity recently. But what exactly do they mean? How can someone tell if they have like a quote unquote fixed or growth
3: mindset? Well, the truth is we all have both. And we just have to be honest about that. But first, you know, what is a fixed mindset? Honestly, it's it's kind of a limitations mindset. It's places in our lives where we don't think in terms of possibilities. We think more in terms of what we can't do. It's kind of a glass half empty attitude. So if we find ourselves saying, I can't, or I won't, or they'll never, or it will never change, and we're shrinking back from challenges, that's a sign of a fixed mindset. Growth mindset, on the other hand, is very much about possibilities and opportunities, you know, a glass half full. So it's not that we don't have challenges or even when we face failure, we see it as an opportunity to learn and grow. So that's the difference between fixed limitations and growth mindset possibilities. Now, you might be thinking, I know some people who are just totally glass, half empty people. They're just fixed mindset. And, you know, maybe that's true on a personality level. We maybe tip towards one or the other. But again, the reality is that we all have areas in our lives where we resort to kind of fixed limitations thinking. But the good news is brain scans show that if we're intentional about it and try to reframe those limitations in our mind into growth and opportunity, our brain literally changes and brain scans show that areas of our brains lighten up as a result.
2: So Kristen, you work with a lot of leaders and executives. How big of a role does mindset play when it comes to you know the quote unquote success of the leaders that you work with and and what's the danger, I guess, of having the fixed mindset, especially for people who are, you know, running teams or running companies and making decisions that impact maybe thousands of people?
3: Well, yeah, the danger is that it shuts down our ability to think creatively and courageously. I mean, it literally shuts down our brain's mental ability which is so needed in leadership and life these days, right? Like we just need to think possibility in a possibility mindset. So whether personally or strategically as organizations and teams, it's just becoming ever more important. The reality is that this kind of thinking can happen so subconsciously, unless we pay attention and notice it, it can just be Kind of governing how we respond to things that are even noticing it. Change and challenges are happening ever more quickly. So we have this need to respond and step up with the possibilities mindset. There are two examples that came to mind as you asked me that question. I was working with an HR executive who is very much, I mean, she said, I am a possibility thinker. I love to help people I work with overcome their mental challenges. Like that's her jam, that's her thing. Ironically, she was working with a challenging boss within the last year. And she noticed just this challenging relationship and the way her boss kind of treated her, it wasn't a helpful culture. And she found herself thinking more and more in terms of limitations and impossibilities. She felt her thinking literally shrinking down and this is someone who is such a champion of others in that area. So it can even happen to us in certain situations. For me personally, I, in addition to doing career coaching, I have facilitate groups with women leaders. And I've just had this belief that those groups are oftentimes better face-to-face. It's just nice to have people right across the table with each other. But then, you know, quarantine throws a curveball into all of that. And I noticed my limitations thinking, my fixed mindset is like, well, that, how am I going to, it'll never work. And then I realized, gosh, there's a way to reframe this. I work with busy women leaders who honestly don't have time to jump in a car and drive to a meeting face-to-face. This will actually be freeing for them. So I could kind of shift my thinking into being more possibilities. And it was super helpful.
0: We know your work includes neuroscience. So let's discuss a little bit about that what is brain negativity bias and threat state? How are these part of the foundational context for fixed mindset tendencies?
3: Well, overall, it's just really helpful to know that our brain is just naturally averse change and uncertainty. And ambiguity can literally, like I said, shut down our ability to think or bring out the worst kind of negative in our thinking. So first, negativity bias. Someone once said, and a leading neuroscientist said, that our brains are like Velcro for the bad thoughts and Teflon for the good thoughts. And the underlying truth of that is that our brains remember negative things longer, imprint them more easily in our brain, and recall them longer. And we tend to have a mood bias, which is that we tend to remember situations gloomier than they actually happened. Like I said, for me, I actually, positivity is one of my top five strengths. And yet in change and uncertainty, I just can be super surprised by how crazy negative my thoughts can go. So this was really helpful for me. It's like, I'm not crazy. I just, like everyone else, have a negativity bias. Threat state is our brain actually interprets everything that happens to us, any kind of incoming situation or information as either a threat or a reward. And threat state triggers our fight or flight response. Whereas reward really engages and enlivens our thinking, threat state can, again, shrink our thinking. So it's important to know that threats that we perceive can eat like survival threats, of course, or crises that happen in our lives, but they can also be social and relational. So think about the fact that maybe you have a boss or like the HR executive I just talked about. She had a challenging work relationship with her supervisor. And in that kind of a situation, our brain perceives that as a threat. It shrinks our ability to think. And it can become a super self-fulfilling prophecy that because you can't think well with someone you're working with, you, you become more mistake prone. You're just you're not as able to think as creatively. So these are things that just can be super helpful to be aware of and give ourselves some grace for, but also help reframe as we go through change and transition.
2: Is this why when people, I feel like when you're at work and you maybe you don't love work, but you don't hate it, and then you start hanging out with someone or like a coworker who hates work, hates the boss, and then you start to feel that way more than maybe you did before. Is that kind of why?
3: Because your brain will like
2: start to hold on
3: to those things. Absolutely. Yep. That's the Velcro. So it's fueling that. It's and it's actually when you the more we rehash negative things. So in your situation, Lauren, we're hashing that out with someone. The more we rehash that or rehearse negative thoughts, it literally embeds them more deeply in the brain. So they become more profound in our brain. So it's a good thing to try to avoid. A good venting session can be good for good for the soul too. So, But to not spend a lot of time in that place would be really helpful and important.
0: I've also heard that, I don't know if you've heard anything about this, but a study or something that showed that if someone had increased creativity, that they... Also had the potential to have like increased negativity or like anxiety because of like the ability to extrapolate several negative outcomes. Because like you were mentioning that negativity bias is that you are faced with a problem or potential problem and you can think of like 15 negative outcomes before they're actually real. So I think there was something like that. Maybe I'm making that up. (laughs) I'll have to look that up. But it is interesting, like the fact that we have like a negativity bias or like that, for some reason, that just is so much more embedded with us.
3: Yep. And we can put that to work for ourselves if we can play out, you know, if we identify all those worst case scenarios to say, okay, what's the likelihood that will happen? Or what could I do strategically to plan for that and make sure it doesn't happen? And that, again, helps reframe it into more possibility thinking.
2: Well, and that's exactly why we invited you on, because apparently you really can train your brain to think differently. So up next, Kristen will share four actionable steps to help you reframe from fixed to growth mindset areas with your individual thinking. And these tips are specific for career transitions. But even if you're you know not making a career transition at this time, I think these tips, you could basically take them and tailor them to your specific needs. So super helpful. And those are coming up next. I want to take a quick break to tell you about Miro. A lot of us are working remote right now, and I think we all deserve a pat on the back. But I want to talk about something that's been helping me run my newly remote business. It's called Miro. Remote work doesn't have to mean you're disconnected from your team. In fact, Miro makes remote collaboration more creative than ever. Seriously. Miro is an online whiteboard that brings teams together Their infinite canvas is perfect for brainstorming, mapping projects, or I don't know, even planning the editorial calendar in the midst of a pandemic, which yes, we've had to do that constantly. Miro seamlessly integrates with programs you already use, like Google Drive, Dropbox, Jira, Slack, and more. Over 5 million, you heard that correctly, 5 million users trust Miro to help their teams work safely and efficiently wherever they are. It's everything you need to start working better. Start collaborating for free when you sign up for an account at Miro.com/females. So that's M-I-R-O.com/females. Remember, we spell it F-E-M-A-I-L-S. To sign up for a free account with unlimited team members, this is a great way to manage projects on your team and really impress that boss as well. So again, it's Miro.com/females. All right, now let's get back to the show. All
0: right, Kristen. Step number one is about making your mindset transition fun. What does that mean?
3: Well, step number one is to label your transition in a compelling way. So think about it like this. I mean, if we any of us say, gosh, I'm looking for a new job or I'm making a career change. It's like, wah, wah. It just feels like drudgery and mundane. And there's just not much life to it. And the brain just doesn't have much to grab onto that's inspiring. So what would be a compelling and meaningful theme that might energize you more, a theme for your transition or a theme for your goals? You know, maybe it's something like, I'm exploring companies offering new innovative models and that you can just tell there's just some energy and some direction and some inspiration in that. Or maybe I'm plugging into a culture where my contributions are needed and valued. It just really brings out something in the brain. Recently, I worked with a client through Career Contessa actually, who talked about watching her grandparent flourish in a new healthcare facility. And it was super meaningful for her. He'd made this change and move. And I don't even know why she was talking about it. But we landed on the fact that her theme for her transition was finding her place to flourish in this next chapter of life. And that just brought out this connection point with her grandfather and gave her something meaningful and inspirational for herself. So you can
2: pick a theme, but you can also be thoughtful with how your language is around like when you talk about something. So anybody who is making a career transition right now or job searching instead of kind of sharing to a friend like, I lost my job. I'm so freaked out. I have to look for a job in the worst possible time to look for a job. Instead, what you're saying is in order to have a growth mindset, it's important to reframe that or rephrase it and say, you know, I have the
3: opportunity to find somewhere where I flourish or something like that. Right? Right. And to do it for yourself as well as for conversations. I was, again, talking to a young woman yesterday who had that She was making a pivot. She wanted to move more into healthcare. And she was talking about it in a way that was, it was a pivot and it was a change and there were gaps. And we kind of reframed it to be, I mean, she really was interested in exploring new models in healthcare delivery, mental healthcare delivery or something. And I thought not only was it good for her, but it's a good conversation starter because it shows people what she's really interested in and what she's aware of. Your second tip is about honesty,
2: gratitude, and emotion. How do those three things play a role in in this next step?
3: Yes, it's about integrating gratitude and responding honestly to the the emotion that we feel. So first, gratitude. Gratitude is the absolute antidote to negativity. It alone, if we practice gratitude in some way, does powerful things to rewire our brain to be more positive. So it's it's just a win-win. So in any situation, what is there to be grateful for, you know, even in the most challenging circumstances? And maybe even as a daily practice, you know, what was your most grateful for moment? It's not just for positivity, but it can help us learn things about ourselves. I did this practice for a while and I just noticed several things that were so helpful for me. I noticed, gosh, I I was so grateful for those moments when I could collaborate with somebody. I found that so energizing and I realized I want more of that in a season of my work. I want to find places to collaborate. So it can be informative as well as rewiring our brain. And then emotion, it's a natural part of life. And maybe a lot of us kind of grew up thinking we should just try to push it aside or repress it, but that's really not the helpful thing. So honestly, when we're experiencing intense emotion, the limbic system, which is our emotional center of of our brain, lights up and sucks energy from the rest of our brain. So we literally can find ourselves not able to think well, when we're super emotional, but the simple act of recognizing and naming the emotion, saying it out loud, I'm feeling super frustrated right now, or I'm feeling super anxious about whatever, literally quiets down the limbic system and increases our capacity to think creatively again. So just to acknowledge it and say it out loud, a lot of teams actually have a practice like this to start a meeting. It's like, we're coming to this meeting, lots of stuff probably happened before let's check in. How are we coming? Everybody gets a chance to say how they're feeling. And that just kind of, it's like a palate cleanser, an emotional or mental palate cleanser to go into a new conversation in a fresh way.
2: I like that. We're going to do that for our next meeting, Mm Ilya. We'll start by saying today I feel... It's kind of funny because I feel like this stuff works, but one of the reasons why people don't do it is because it sounds so cheesy, like Mm -hmm. is really saying how you feel and naming your emotion. Like if you had a meeting with your boss and your boss was like, how are you? And you were like, today I feel frustrated. Like, I don't (laughs) know. I, I feel like there's a party that would feel so silly about that, you know? And so part of this, I think also is company cultures, bosses, managers, they should lead, but this has to be mm-hmm. not a silly thing. Does that make yeah. sense? Like, I feel kind of silly to say that. It seems <laughs> like it's like what you would like teach a child,
0: right? Like to express yeah. their emotion and to yeah. like, to not be like just, you know, having a meltdown basically. But yeah. Like say how you feel. As, yeah <laughs> as you enter a workforce and you're an adult, obviously it's like practiced out of you to be like, no, just solve or just put away that emotion, especially when it comes to work, which I'm glad that more recently, I think there's been more acceptance of bringing your emotion and vulnerability to work and addressing it rather than letting it go to an absolute stage of burnout. And then it really helps no one because you're not helping yourself whatsoever. So I think that's super important to just acknowledge because I think a lot of us jump to like solving before we even know or like distraction to just put it away somewhere (laughs) deep down.
3: Well, and can I just say, I think that, you know, what you guys just said, that's where neuroscience can be so helpful. It's like there is a brain-based reality why we Mm -hmm. feel so crazy or we feel so emotional or we might practice saying, how do I feel today? You feel, right? yeah. you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. And so people I work with go, oh my gosh, that's why. And that's why it's helpful. So it's kind of a helpful missing link.
2: It's like companies need their own in-house neuroscientists to come in. It's like HR, could you just become neuroscientists at the same time? <laughs> like that's no biggie. <laughs> so your third tip
0: is something that I know people think about a lot and that is focus. So let's talk a little bit about that.
3: Yes. So it can be really helpful to choose our focus, first of all, and then find solidarity in those places where we don't know what's going to happen. So choosing our focus first, it's just helpful to know that the brain does better and thinks more positively and creatively when we're thinking at the vision and goals and strategies level, kind of at the big picture level. So if you think in a corporate change or in a career change, A lot of times we can kind of digress down into the details, like how's this going to work? And should we be doing this? We'll be able to do that. That, Those literally inhibit our mental capacities, especially at that point. So if we can stay early on at the vision and goals level, it keeps us mentally open and creative. There's definitely a place for details in the process, but just not too early, or it just creates a downward cycle. I was working with a woman who's kind of a provost at a university, and she was contemplating and wanting to seek a presidency position, but she knew that it would probably mean moving from the city she lived in. And when she tried to go to the detail level, she just couldn't figure out how it could ever work. She, Her husband has a job. He could never move. Her mother lives here. She's caring for her mother. Her adult children cycle into the home between international travel. She just couldn't piece it all together. And it was a great example of now's not the time to think at the detail level because it can just stymie our ability to to envision the future. Finding solidarity in the not knowing. This I've just found to be really helpful and meaningful, especially for many of us who in America, we're used to knowing a lot about what will happen. We can control a lot of our lives. And certainly in corporate America, we maybe get a consistent paycheck and they're just things we don't have to worry about. And in those places of not knowing, I just think to find solidarity with people who live lives that are really based in not knowing. I, for example, think of my dad, the farmer. He's constantly not knowing what the weather will do, what the crop yields will be. Like he just lives in this constant state of, I have no idea what I'll make this year. And I have a daughter, international daughter, who grew up in a refugee camp. She lived in a situation where didn't know where food would come from, had, didn't know where family livelihood would come from. So I just think that can that kind of a mindset shift can help turn our sense of vulnerability and fear into something meaningful and purposeful and a way to kind of be sensitive of and aware of other people who live lives all that, you know, live that all the time versus our our smaller episodes there.
2: I definitely relate to this. I feel like I get stuck on the details of a project or like if we have to shift like a process or do something different at Career Contessa, I always do details first instead of big picture. It kind of makes me crazy. It makes other people crazy. And I find, and I don't know if this is like a female versus male thing, but I'm curious if it is because I find that when I share like the thing that's, you know, tripping me up to like my husband or something, he'll be like, I don't know why you're worrying about that yet. And it's like, because I have to execute on this at some point. So like the details do matter. And he's always like, cross that bridge when you get there. Is is there anything to male versus female there? Or am I just, that's just me.
3: (laughs) No, you are, you are onto something, Lauren. Studies have shown that men more easily, this is a generality, but it does show up in, in neuroscience men have a better ability to compartmentalize. So they can kind of disassociate from a lot of the details and just like think in a more compartmentalized way. Women have more neural connections between the hemispheres of their brain. So we have more of a superhighway going on up there. And it can be, and a lot of things are moving between and connecting that men oftentimes don't have to deal with in the same way. So no, you are definitely onto something. And You know, God bless men. There are times I get frustrated by their ability to compartmentalize. And there are times I think, wow, I wish I could have a little of that.
2: (laughs) Saying God bless men is probably a first on this show. That's so funny. (laughs) 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 But that's great. I agree though. I, I do think sometimes it's the same way where you're like, oh man, you can decompartmentalize, but it makes sense. Women, we are like the visual you gave of this like freeway, especially as someone who lives in LA where, you know, there's like, Seven lanes going across for one highway, kind of thing. That's what your brain can feel like at times for sure.
3: Yes. And it does bring value. Again, studies show that women who are on boards or have women representation tend to have more of a stakeholder view because women bring a perspective that's not just about compartmentalized profit or compartmentalize one piece of the business, but saying, How do we treat all stakeholders and can take this more holistic view? So women bring a strong value in that.
2: So your fourth tip is to reframe what you call SCARF, S-C-A-R-F, threat. So how do people do that? And what are SCARF threats?
3: Well, this is where the Neuroleadership Institute that I trained with did some really interesting research and identified these five key areas of social threat that we can experience in our brain. So not survival threat, but literally the social relational threat. Sometimes we might leave a meeting or a conversation and go, what just happened and why do I feel so weird or frustrated? And this can explain some of that for us. So SCARF stands for Threats to Status, Certainty, Autonomy, Relatedness, and Fairness. So anytime we're feeling kind of threatened, we can usually tie it back to one of those. And I'll just kind of walk through what each of those is and a way to kind of help offset that, especially in change and transition. So we all have a desire for status and that's a desire to feel esteemed and valued and important. And a lot of times we get some really good status sense from our positions and our roles and our jobs and our identity as employees and owners and workers. In transition, that can be really unsettling. We can feel threatened because maybe we're not working right now and we don't know what to say at a cocktail party when someone asks us. We lose that sense of status and identity. So a helpful thing can be to find practical ways to learn and grow, especially during transition, because enhancing our own sense of value and contribution can help kind of elevate that status need within us, whether it's happening externally or not. So that's status. The second threat is threats to certainty. And we just have all have this desire for a sense of predictability, for context, and for clarity. And in transition and change, we can't always guarantee what the outcome is going to be or when it's going to happen. So it can be really helpful to break down the change process into smaller bite-sized milestones that we can work towards and that we can celebrate as little pieces, bite-sized pieces along the way, instead of this bigger, ambiguous, when will it end? What will it look like? Kind of a process. So that's certainty. We all have needs for autonomy too, which is our desire for some measure of control And self-directed choices, which can, you know, super get super triggered in the change process, especially if we're looking for a new job, because it feels like everybody else has the power. Do they want to interview me? Will they hire me? I don't have much decision making power. It's all in everybody else's hands. So a way to offset that and take some power and autonomy back is to just really be intentional to know our own personal goals and our own values, maybe for the kind of culture we want to work in so that we have our own sense of decision-making about what we want for ourselves and what we're measuring things against. So that's autonomy. Relatedness is next and that's our desire for connection and our desire to be friends and not foes. So if we feel like we're foes with someone, threat mode if we feel connected, it keeps us thinking open. Career Contessa is a great example of this. It's a way to find camaraderie and to be with people and to learn from others and to find partnership in the process and kind of relate to others who are going through the same process. I have such a heart for people who go through the career change process. And we tend we all tend to do this, but We isolate behind our computer. We look online for positions. We shoot off resumes. um, We look for networking opportunities. And it can be so isolating and discouraging and, frankly, depressing. So finding ways to partner with others and find camaraderie in the process can help offset that need for relatedness. Finally, SCARF, the F stands for fairness. And that is our desire for fair exchange and impartiality. So, you know, this can... It pretty easily triggered, am I getting a fair shake in the hiring process? Is there ageism? Is there Are there gender or, or racial issues that are affecting whether people want to interview me or hire me? A lot of this, again, is just beyond our control. There's just no way to really even know, let alone do anything about it. But I've just found it helpful and recommend that people find ways to help and support other people and pass on the good mojo. So if I'm helping other people, it increases my sense of fair exchange. And I've just got to believe the universe is going to you know, circle back to me at some point. So those are the SCARF needs and being intentional about those just natural needs for status, certainty, autonomy, relatedness, and fairness can honestly just help us stay above the emotional fray, especially in a change and transition process.
2: Yeah. I think those are all really... I mean, I like the acronym SCARF. I think it helps. And I, I also feel like... Everything that you mentioned kind of gets especially raised when you are making a career transition or even right now when you're dealing with so much uncertainty potentially in your career. So those are important steps for people to definitely keep in mind. So we're just going to recap Kristen's four steps for retraining your brain to have a growth mindset. So number one, label or theme your transition in a fun, compelling way and how you talk about it both with yourself and other people. Number two, integrate gratitude and respond honestly to emotions. So even naming your emotions. Number three, choose your focus and find solidarity in the not knowing. I know that one's going to be a lot, pretty hard for most of us, a hard pill for us to swallow, but um, find solidarity in the not knowing and not having all the answers right now. And number four, be intentional to address and reframe scarf threats and scarf stands for status, certainty, autonomy, relatedness, and fairness. Hey, I want to take a quick break to talk to you about something really cool that we have at Career Contessa. You know, it's approximately day 594 of quarantine, but who's counting, right? If you're like me, you've already reorganized your pantry, perfected your banana bread recipe, deep cleaned your bathtub, color-coded your bookcase, and paired every sock you own. You know what it might be time to do? Oh, and quick hint, it's not tie dyeing the remainder of your white clothes. It's about starting that side hustle that you've been dreaming about for years. But of course, the question is, which side hustle is actually right for you and your lifestyle? Well, we've got a quiz for you. Take our which side hustle is right for you quiz that's included in the show notes and get on your way. So it's a quick quiz that you can take for free that will let you know which side hustle you should actually pursue. Again, we've linked to that in the show notes. Now let's get back to the show. Welcome to Dear Career Contessa, the part of the show where we answer your questions. Remember, if you have a career question, you can submit it to us via DM on at Career Contessa on Instagram email us info at careercontessa.com or leave a voicemail at 844-FEMALES. All of that information is also included in the show notes. Today is another unique Dear Career Contessa because we're joined again by Alex Bader, a recruiter at Hulu. Alex, welcome back to The Females.
1: Thank you. This is becoming a pattern. (laughs) I know. We love it. I love coming back and answering these questions. Thanks, Lauren.
0: Our first listener question is, how do you tailor your resume when you want to go into a new field and have no experience?
1: Uh, So we actually have talked about this before. There's sort of this intangible skills versus tangible industry experience. And so I had talked about this on the last podcast that when I originally applied to Hulu, I had absolutely no experience in recruiting nor entertainment media. So what I did was be super intentional in Sort of the applicable skill sets I could bring to the table that I read in the job description. That's one of the highlights I would say is always make sure that anything that's in the job description will mirror your resume as well. Making sure that you have all of the skill sets they ask for, maybe relevant project experience, and chances are, you know, a recruiter at some point is going to take a chance on you. So. Once you get the skill sets versus the industry knowledge into your resume, it's really up to you then on the call to sell your skills and experience.
2: I've seen this a lot on resumes. People will put like a career objective and I feel like they do that more often or like a summary or something like that. They do that more often when they're trying to transition. Do you like those? Do you skip them and go straight to bullet points? What's your take on those?
1: Quite honestly, I skip them. (laughs) Again, I think what's more important to me is seeing the trajectory of your career as well as the buzzwords and the skill sets. But I will say if you do tend to typically put a career objective at the top, I would actually tailor it more around like a performance profile where you're highlighting your skill sets versus actually saying, hi, I'm Alex. I'm interested in X job. Because yeah. what that's doing is sort of telling a story to me as the recruiter as to why you're trying to transfer these skills over.
2: Right. That's a really good tip. I also or at least this is the advice I give on career contestant, because I'm like you yeah, I don't really read the career objective or at least I don't start there. I always tell right. people if they love your resume, they're going to probably go look at your LinkedIn profile also and you have a whole summary section that you can tell that story that could be the career objective also.
1: Absolutely. I totally agree. And listen, at the end of the day, like recruiters hopefully are aware that people try to shift careers all the time into new industries, new departments, etc. So we are generally trying to be more open to accepting different backgrounds and experiences. Yes.
2: Our second listener question is, how are Zoom interviews different than face-to-face and things that they should be keeping in mind?
1: Yeah, so I would assume most interviews are video these days, you know, besides the obvious fact that you're dealing with many potential interruptions, like a dog barking, internet dropping, etc. I know that a lot of people feel more comfortable being face to face instead of talking to a screen. The only thing I would say, though, is that zoom interviews actually can take out the stress of figuring out the time to travel to your interview parking, getting everything situated. So I would actually use that time and get it back to feel more comfortable and relaxed before you turn on the camera. And given that there could be so many distractions, I would also try to find as functional a space as possible. So make sure your internet's working, it's quiet, test out your audio and webcam before you hop on the call, just so that you can focus on on the actual conversation, and again, I would say too, you know, team members are understanding that everyone's work from home right now, so things can come up. The other thing I wanted to mention too, Lauren, is I have been on a couple interviews where folks have forgotten to change their background. And they, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I would just make sure it's professional. At the end of the day, we're all trying to put our best foot forward. And then the last one I would say too is that you know, while you're on a video call, I wouldn't necessarily write out a whole script. I think the recruiter will tell if you're reading a whole host of notes, but I think jotting down a couple of keywords that will remind you of the focus areas you wanted to address on the call that's totally fine. And I think that that could be a huge benefit of being on a video call as well.
2: Yeah. And I would just add, if you're going to take notes or do like refer to your notes or something, give the recruiter that heads up so they don't think you're like looking at your phone or bored or something, right? Like so over communicate versus assuming that they know what you're doing.
1: I completely agree, Lauren, because we can absolutely see the eyes drifting. And uh, you definitely want to look focused on the conversation.
0: Our last listener question is... How do you consider skill sets versus industry experience in hiring?
1: Yeah, so we actually talked about this on the last podcast, but I have seen from experience having hired for a ton of different roles that the intangible skills you bring to the table are actually much harder to be taught than industry experience. So I think that you know as a recruiter and hiring manager, you would place a ton of value actually on skill sets versus industry so The one caveat I will say is, of course, there are specific roles where it's preferred or generally required to have that knowledge. But I think as companies continue to focus their efforts on diversity and inclusion, we're really doubling down on training efforts so that you can expand the talent pool even further, which would include candidates who do have different industry experience. And the other thing I will say too, is that innovative companies tend to be more willing to take a chance on a candidate who has pretty much all the qualifications. And it can exemplify their interest and passion for transitioning to that specific industry.
2: I saw a resume recently and I really liked it. What she did is she had bullet points for her job title in the company. And then the last bullet point looked a little different. It was formatted a little bit different. And she just said achieved. And it was like a one sentence summary of like her successful achievement on that job. And if, of course, if you have specific numbers, like you said, kind of about performance, I really liked that. I don't know. what do, What's your take on that formatting for a resume?
1: I absolutely love that. If there is a way to bold specific highlights, specific projects, that will certainly jump off the page and something that I guess my, I would definitely lean towards.
2: Definitely. Well, thank you, Alex, once again, for this incredible advice. If people want to stay in touch with you, can you share the best way for them to do that?
1: Yes. LinkedIn, definitely the best way. My name is Alex Bader. I will do my absolute best to respond, but otherwise we can definitely stay connected.
2: Amazing. we'll put all that information in the show notes. Thank you, Alex.
1: Thanks, Lauren.
2: Thank you for listening to this episode of The Females. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review. We absolutely love hearing from you all. And remember my book, Power Moves, How Women Can Pivot reboot and build a career of purpose is on sale now. I also talk about fix versus growth mindset in the book along with plenty of other actionable ways to move your career forward. You can find more information at www.powermovesbook.com but we've also linked to it in the show notes. If you are interested in career
0: coaching and making an investment in your career, check out Career Contessa's coaching service called Hire a Mentor. You can work one-on-one with a career coach already pre-vetted by our team, and we've linked to that service in the show notes. Today's guest expert, Kristen Evanson, is also
2: one of our career coaches, so you can even work on your mindset directly with her. And a big thank you to Kristen for sharing advice on how to train your brain to have a growth mindset and Alex Bader for being our guest expert on Dear Career Contessa. We've linked to more information about Kristen and Alex in the show notes.